Welcome to another episode of Write You a Song. I'm Tom Maley, and this podcast features some of the biggest names in country music songwriting. If this is your first listen, go back through the archives and check out conversations with Josh Osborne, Shane McAnally, Ashley McBride, Brett James, Jeffrey Steele, Liz Rose, and a whole bunch of others. Now, if you like the podcast, give it a quick review and share it. And if you don't, keep that to yourself. Uh, now, on with the show. <laughs> If songwriting, as Dave Grohl once put it, is about extending a hand to the listener, then every country music fan the past two decades has shaken hands with this month's guest on Write You a Song. He's written huge hits for everybody from Eric Church to Reba to George Strait, including the top country song of 1999, which was also one of the biggest love songs of all time. There's a reason I say it that way. You'll find out as Write You a Song goes on. Marv Green, thank you for joining us today on Write You a Song. Well, my pleasure. Good to be here. And it's we're uh, recording this out in California. The uh, podcast originally originates at uh, KNCI Radio in Sacramento, and you are a California native. I am born and raised in Santa Barbara. Well, born in Santa Barbara, raised in Santa Barbara County, up in the Santinez Valley, right above Santa Barbara, and uh, yeah, still call it my home. Now we talked uh, several podcasts back with another California native, Jeffrey Steele. Um, and he grew up in uh, kind of the L.A. area and was uh, initially kind of into the, the rock and roll scene there. But from what I understand, you were steeped in country music from pretty early on, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I was um, exposed to it. Just my dad and my grandparents um, were listening to it all the time. And and we na- my, I say we my brother and I just sort of naturally were gravitated towards that um, as uh, we started to learn how to play guitar. Um, those are the songs that we began singing early on, um, in addition to, you know, artists like John Denver wanted to learn those kind of songs, James Taylor kind of songs as well. Uh, is that because those were the kind of songs that at that time got the ladies? <laughs> uh, I, get, I mean, this was so early on, I don't know how important the ladies were, but, um, <laughs> but they became very important this time. <laughs> 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 and I'm sure just a product of your generation, you were probably exposed to all kinds of music. Um, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when high school started, I was um, a big Tom Petty fan. And, um, uh, you know, unfortunately for me, there was a lot of, um, uh, you know, some of the 80s stuff, good or the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, as far as that kind of music. Um, I was first and foremost a guitar player, but I... I certainly, you know, gravitated and got pulled into some of what sounded new at the time, and uh, which is rather strange for a guitar player. But I, I definitely got interested in in some other electronic music too. But always came back to acoustic based, or you know, at least traditional uh, kind of music. Um, uh, was your family musical? Well, um, my dad had picked up a guitar. I've seen pictures, you know, and uh, as far as you know, when I was around him, or even to this day when I'm around him, he he likes to think he can sing. You know, it's funny. He, <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> he loves some good old, uh, you know, Hank Sr. and some uh, Lefty Fazell sort of stuff. But um, it's, it's funny. He never really pursued it at all. Um, the one who actually got my brother's attention and my attention was my uncle. He uh, at uh, barbecues and get family get-togethers, he would uh, break out this uh, this late 20s Martin 018, which I have. He actually handed it down to me, and uh, oh. 
really cool guitar, but that was the first, you know, sign of anybody just showing us, hey, here's a guitar, and uh, it just really uh, it was very interesting, and it turned into one of those things where we're like, you know, that's, you know, my uncle was an influence, um, and again, well, you know, little things, hee-haw, I mean, hee-haw used to come on every Saturday night, and for, you know, there was limited TV programming where I was or at that time and, and it was a big deal on Saturday night to watch Hee Haw as you know, funny as that may sound, but I mean, you know, just you got another moment to see, you know, Buck Owens or, or Johnny Cash or Chris Christopherson sing for a minute and it was uh, you know, an influence as well. What about music sunk its hooks into you? Was it seeing your uncle having so much fun and people enjoying his playing that kind of gave you that first idea that, hey, this is fun, or was there something deeper than that, something kind of more innate to your, I don't know, DNA? Yeah, I would say more innate to DNA. I, I think for whatever reason, the the fact that you could sing and, and, and play and and take your emotions somewhere and, and just kind of pour it into something. Um, I think that's part of it. Um, maybe on my mom's side, the Italians, you know, they used to sit around the piano and sing. From what I understand, I never saw it, but maybe some of that's in my DNA. Um, and, uh, it, it, yeah, I feel like it was it's just something spiritually that was inside. I mean, and that goes for the music itself and the song itself. Cause I remember early on and being 16 years old and going to a car wash and listening to Casey Kasem and just going, yeah, the, the artists are cool, but the, I don't, I'm always attracted to the song itself. And I don't, you know, I don't even know why, you know, it just was. So you were attracted to, was it more the, the, the lyrics or the melody, the, the hookiness of a song that, that drew, cause like when I was, we're probably about the same age, and you know, when I in 1984, 85, yeah, I wanted to be David Lee Roth, except I wasn't good looking and uh, <laughs> couldn't sing or anything else. Uh, but you know, I think most young guys they want to be, you know, the lead singer. But here you are going beneath the the surface and really kind of paying attention to the to the actual music. Yeah, and I, I think a part of me is is kind of likes to be public and on a stage, and a part of me doesn't like to be, and, and maybe that had some influence on the fact that um, I, I love the craft of songwriting. Um, but don't get me wrong. I mean, I had I had moments where I wanted to be, you know, Jackson Brown or Tom Petty or, mm-hmm. or one of those guys and be on the stage. Um, for whatever reason, it always, for me, um, it always came back to uh, wanting to write, and then um, and and then just you know first and foremost the song, um, and and wanted to do it a lot, you know, not just wanting to have a short list, but wanting to keep writing all the time, which is interesting, you know. Do you remember the first song where you really paid attention to the lyrics? Um, hmm. I mean, I would probably say way back in the. Um, uh, you know, a California kid like myself, I mean, I remember my brother buying uh, Merle Haggard, one of the first live records he did, and then I, one of the first country records I purchased was the Honky Tonk Heroes album uh, that Waylon Jennings did, and um, I was really, you know, those lyrics really, for whatever reason, I mean, I, I don't know, it felt like some, you know, the outlaw movement was 
I wasn't aware of what that was, but the song felt like Outlaws, literally, and that sort of attracted me. Um, and I also paid attention to what John, again, John Denver, because it, he was an artist where you could have an acoustic guitar and figure the songs out. And, you know, groups like the Beatles, just because of, of my age, I mean, I, I actually discovered them later, you know, and, and the Rolling Stones, you know. You know, for me, the new music of the Stones was like Miss You and, and that whole uh, uh, era of, of the Stones, you know, um, Tattoo You and that, that mm-hmm. part. So those songs were new to me then, and then I went backwards and, and you know, discovered some of the older stuff. So um, uh, I, I love the story about uh, in high school, you were already writing songs, it sounds like. You had a composition teacher, and rather than write essays, what, what did they have you do? Oh, yeah. So his name was Mr. Black, Sherman Black. And he, um, uh, I, I approached him as a composition class in high school. And I just said, Mr. Black, is there any way instead of writing compositions, you'd let me write lyrics? Uh, and he he said, yeah, as long as I see you're doing your work and, and whatnot. And um, I actually have an envelope somewhere with some of those. Uh, I need to find out where I put it. But um, it's really cool. He would comment on them and just go, I really get this one or I don't get this one. Or um, So what a great, uh, you know, a great teacher to, to yeah. even let me do it first and foremost. And um, and what a great, you know, a great way to sort of work on your craft, you know. Did you have melodies to those lyrics at that time? Were you were these actual songs? Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny. I feel bad because I go back, and he always wanted me to participate. He was he was the English teacher, but he's also a drama teacher, and he he asked me so many times. I, I really could use someone who could sing and play for this play, and I just ran from that stuff. You know, it's just <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't going to do that, which is a bummer. It would have been another great opportunity, but he. Um, he kept asking me. I got up towards the end and I, I sang one for him. But all of them had melodies in my, uh, you know, I was, I don't know what, that was even before the four tracks, I was recording them on a little, you know, tape recorder. Um, there was another teacher in your life who you give credit for actually getting you off your butt and, and getting out of California and going to Nashville. Oh, yeah. And again, it took me a, a few years to... Uh, let that resonate but um you know i just remember um oh boy his name was uh, harry bulo i don't know where he is now but he was at uh santa barbara city i started to take music major courses there and a uh, super super talented saxophone player uh just amazing sax player really and, and these classes with him were more jazz he uh, didn't have a whole lot of guitar uh, knowledge, but he said, "Yeah, you could play uh, guitar in the jazz ensemble." And and so um, I was trying to figure out <clears throat> Charlie Parker licks and cool other jazz players sax licks. And uh, one one afternoon, I, I stayed a little late. It was just me, and he knew I was doing you know a few little acoustic gigs around Santa Barbara, and and then playing the country with my brother. And uh, I think by then I actually had uh, broken up my pop kind of rock uh, well it was more of a pop band but anyway so hanging out in class and um he uh he just basically sat down with me and he said green he goes what uh what do you really want to do with your life and i said well first and foremost you know i want to be a, a songwriter uh something that makes most sense to me and, and he said well if you stay here you're going to become a music teacher <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I don't really want to do that. So uh, anyway, 
you know, he, he basically said, just go to L.A. or go to New York or go to Nashville if that's what calls to you. But, um, you know, you could always come back and, and do this. But, um, but uh, you know, go chase it. So that was good. And like I said, it still took a couple years to uh, heed his advice. You're growing up in a small town. To make that leap from, you know, that's all you've ever known to either L.A. or to Nashville, how did you do it? Um, just classic a guitar and a suitcase. I, I um, didn't have a lot, but what I had, I just sold, uh, gave away, and um, just hopped on a plane. Um, I had one friend here, Junie Fisher, and she let me crash on her couch. And um, you know, I did what I had to do: I waited tables, answered phones for J.C. Penney catalog when that was a gig, and uh, just sort of hit the streets and played all the open mic writers shows that I could. Um, I do have to say, for me, uh, one great thing that happened is out in California, uh, I met a radio DJ named Tom Kafuri. Um, Tom did tell me, if you ever do make it to Nashville, uh, I do know someone back there. He said my wife is second cousin to someone, and so I just kind of filed that away. And so I was here, moved here, finally got my own apartment after a few weeks, and um but all the while recording the song, new songs I was uh, writing while I was here. And um, and so then I called Tom back and I said, now, who do you know back here? And he said, well, my wife's second cousin is a guy named Scott Hendricks. And I was a fan of, you know, obviously reading the producers and writers on all the records back when you had physical product to actually look at. Um, and I said, well, of course I know who Scott is. And so said, is there any way I could uh, take him a six, new six-song demo tape that I've made here in Nashville? And he called, and, and Scott said he was really busy producing, but uh, just to drop it by. Unbeknownst to me, Scott was um, just starting a new little publishing company with Warner Music, and uh, he was looking for a developing writer, a new person. And that's when my uh, cassette tape uh, demos hit his desk. <laughs> wow! And and did he give it a? Was it uh, like did he call you right back, or did you have to wait months and just sit there wringing your hands? Well, Tom warned me. He said he's real busy. You know, it could be a month or you know or longer, just because he's in the middle of a couple records. And I said, all right, well, thanks for at least, you know, making the connection. And I brought it over there. And then the next Monday, like three days, that was like on a Friday. And then the Monday I got a call from Scott and he said, man, I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about what you're all about. He goes, these songs are, are really promising. And so, yeah, it was, it was a quick turnaround. I mean, I'd only been in town about five and a half months. How confident were you in your ability when you went there? Oh, I, I mean, I. I felt like um, I could do it. I mean, I felt like I, I did have to immerse myself in a place like Nashville. Um, and the good news is that I came out about two months before I moved here and just kind of went to the Bluebird and Douglas Corner and some of these songwriters uh, clubs. And I, I just I just saw a place where I felt like, you know, I can do this. I can I can be here with just a guitar and, and write these songs and um make it happen so you know i obviously had some confidence otherwise i wouldn't have left the beautiful santa barbara uh you know i love mm -hmm. the ocean i love the mountains and um but i was confident enough to know i you know i could do it but i also felt like i had to do it i, I would regret it if i didn't try yeah, you never had any plan b did you there was no plan b but you know it's interesting because 
Plan B was sort of um, planted in my head for the longest time, and I I felt like, you know, oh, Plan B, you know. But I think once I turned 25, um, I completely exploded any possibility for Plan B. I figured, you know, got a window and, uh, you know, no Plan B. Plan, Plan B is Plan A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and your first number one was a hit for George Strait. Um, Correct. That's yeah, got to be called true. Sorry. And and that's got to be heady for a, a young, even a, a confident young song songwriter to have your first number one go to one of the legends, living legends in country music, and he takes it all the way to the top of the charts. How surreal was that? Yeah, I was just getting ready to say it was completely surreal because. Uh, maybe the year before I had a top 10, a new artist on Curb called David Kirsch. Mm -hmm. But then to have George come along and record one of my songs uh, and then take it to number one um, began about, you know, about four years in a row of surrealism. I mean, I, I just, uh, my career just at that point just took off. And um, it's definitely pinch yourself kind of moments. Because uh, George, George is a great example of, of one of the ones that, you know, was certainly uh, hoping and praying for, but it just seemed like, you know, the odds were against me, obviously. Did you write True with George in mind, or was that just a song that you wrote one day and, and you sent it off to, you know, for whoever to record? Well, now, going down to Warner Chapel Music, which is Warner's publishing uh, portion, so I'd report there every morning. I was mixing and mingling and writing with some some of the writers who would, you know, give a new writer a chance there. And um, I met a guy named Jeff Stevens. Jeff had had some success uh, with uh, some, like, Alabama. And he's had, he had a good little run. And um, I, uh, I had a, most of, of the chorus to True in my head and, and written down. And um, honestly, I was thinking it would be a really good song for Ronnie and Kicks, Brooks and Dunn, to do. Mm. And so uh, we even demoed it that way. It kind of, I felt like it was a good shot at uh, Brooks and Dunn. And then um, we, uh, uh, Michael Knox, who was my main publisher or one of my main guys there, he um, he said, we should bring this over to Tony Brown for George Strait. And, and uh, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, to his credit, he was sort of thinking, well, where's George Strait going to go, you know, musically or whatever. So, uh and Tony loved it, played it for George, and George loved it. So I, I, I was not thinking George straight when I wrote it, though, to answer your question. True in this modern world, when two lovers get together, chances of them ever making it to forever couldn't be better than two in a million hearts. Girl, this ain't just another run of the mill emotion. What I'm feeling is a definition of devotion My love for you is true True like the sun coming up each morning Bright as the light and a baby's smile song that was the 2000 BMI song of the year it got you the BMI songwriter of the year award in 2001 and the song is still 
just synonymous with weddings, uh, and that's Amazed from Lone Star. Where did where did the impetus for that song come from? Yeah, so this is 1998. I just met my wife, just uh, uh, and Amy Mayo, Chris Lindsay, my co-writers were were falling in love with each other. And um, Amy, you know, it's funny because Amy and I kind of landed in Nashville around the same time, and so we'd hang out and go listen to uh, other songwriters and just talk about music and went to, you know, go to some parties and just play each other what we were up to. And, and, um, she recognized in a sisterly way when I met Tasha, that Tasha kind of had my number. And so she called me and, you know, she'd kind of just egg me on as a sister would. And, and she called me one night and, and I don't know, she was completely serious, but also having fun with me. And she's from Gaston, Alabama. And so in this, Alabama kind of voice. She said, Marv, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just, you know, back at my apartment now. And she goes, well, tonight I want to write a love song. And she was <laughs> laughing. And I was like, oh, you do, do you? And she said, yeah, why don't you come over? And I said, all right, I'll, I'll come over. And um, and so we just, you know, we were, we were fascinated by um, – Pablo Neruda and some of these roomy kind of poems and and I loved you know kind of going that direction you know with the lyric and just thinking about you know the fact that we were all falling in love and that song happened Every time our eyes meet this feeling inside me is almost more than I can take Baby when you touch me I can feel how much you love me and it just blows me away I've never been this close to anyone or anything I can hear your thoughts I can see your dreams I don't know how you do what carry ideas around you know, like on your phone or on a notepad or do you just kind of um, let the magic happen when you're in the room well um i i'm always putting stuff uh in you know we've got these iphones now so um whether i'm recording a little piece of a melody or just writing down a title or a phrase um you know my my iphone is my companion for uh, recording snippets of stuff um, and then, you know, I like to um, just kind of walk around and, and see. I love, you know, when phrases and melodies kind of appear together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people always talk about, you know, can I put my poem to music? And I'm like, well, you can. You're going to probably edit something because, you know, words have sort of phrasing and and um, inspire melodies. So it's a it's one of those things that um, I like to to give the the line a, a chance to to have a melody when you say it, you know. Words inspire melody. I love the way you said that. 
Um, oh, they do, yeah. Because especially if you're talking about phrases, you know, you start you, you speak in a way to where you're saying a phrase, and it 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 kind of if you just let it, it can totally inspire a melody, and and that's why I like I like it when they come together. I'm fascinated by you know some of those collaborators like um, Bernie and Elton, Elton John and uh, and Bernie because you know I mean. I don't know that relationship, but I feel like Bernie wrote those lyrics and then, you know, knew Elton well enough to figure out that he would find the melodies. Do you have a word melody combination that is one of your favorites that you came up with that you just uh, personally? I mean, if I were I love I have loved from the very first time I heard it, the melody of true. I just it, it sounded so different at the time. And to me, it's it still does. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that was, for me, I love a good one-word title. And so for me, what was happening there is is trying, you know, looking at the word true, following it with a phrase that, that basically, um, you know, you're playing with the word true and writing a love song, obviously. But um, uh, the way those phrases fell out just felt right, you know. And, and uh, yeah, that's one shotgun writer, I would, I would say, is, is one where I like how that fits. Shotgun Rider has an interesting story behind it in that, and your friend J.T. Harding texted me this to, to ask you. <laughs> that wasn't the first song that Tim McGraw did called Shotgun Rider. No, no. And I, I remember it happening once before with George Strait, where not with me, but he he uh, recorded a, al- a song he put on the album um, called She'll Leave You With a Smile, and then several albums later, he had the same title but a completely different song. And I was thinking, wow, that's amazing. Why didn't they kind of get together and just kind of slightly change the other title, just at least for nothing else, just not to confuse people? So then fast forward, um, I I should have known Tim had a song called Shotgun Rider. I, I think I had an album cut on the same album where he's got the first Shotgun Rider. But anyway, I write this song with Hillary Lindsay and Troy Burgess, and it's called Shotgun Rider. And um, we that's one of those songs we completely wrote into. Uh, you know, I we didn't know it was going to be called Shotgun Rider until we got into the chorus and started going. And I like to write that way. I don't have to know exactly what it's called, you know, until we write it. So, uh, but anyway, so where you're getting at, so we're done. I know Tim's recorded the song and as we can, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go out on the, you know, YouTube and see if they're, if he's playing it live yet. Cause I knew he'd recorded it. So I do the title and, um, shotgun rider pops up. I didn't listen to it yet, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at here. We've got shotgun rider and faith Hill singing on it. So I get really excited until I hit play. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is not our shotgun rider. Tim already has a shotgun rider. She said, Don't you know that the life of a cowboy is no good alone? If you tell 
rusty barbed wire. Then I'll lay down beside you and be your shotgun rider. But then Tim and Faith did yes, do one of your songs. Uh, they did. They did a song called Let's Make Love, yeah, which was uh, beautifully done by Faith on the Breathe album. And then Tim actually put it on a Grace Tits album. So, yeah, that was a good one. Baby, I've been drifting away and dreaming all day holding you, touching close to you as I can be let's make Another song of yours that I think has a really interesting melody and just the whole, the way the word structure, lyric structure goes is uh, Carrie Underwood's Wasted. That is another song that doesn't, when it came out, it didn't sound like anything else on the radio. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love that. And again, that that was an idea about, you know, I love how Wasted could be used in a couple of different ways. Um, I always wanted to talk about and have a song uh, about, you know, just sort of how I felt before I moved to Nashville, because I was definitely in that frame of mind. If I don't do something, I feel like I'm wasting something. So that was sort of where I was pointing that. And to um, to Hillary Lindsay's credit, she started talking about this girl in the first verse, and I was like, oh, okay, I like, I like where that's going. Standing at the back door, she tried to make it fast. Once you hit the hardwood, it fell like broken glass. She said, sometimes love slips away, and you just can't get it back. Let's face it. For one split second, she almost turned around. But that would be like pouring raindrops back into a cloud. So she took another step, said, I see the way gonna take it when you come up with a song like that that is um, a bit different do you know right away that it's a bit different and and if you do does it concern you at all or are you excited by having something that sounds unlike anything else oh yeah i'm i'm all excited about it and it's you know i've been around here long enough to kind of see you know the circles of how things kind of 
come around and disappear and come back. But, um, but yeah, I'm always trying to at least, you know, try to find something that's, you know, hadn't been done or hadn't been done in a while just to, you know, kind of give the listener something new. Um, that's definitely something that we're always trying to chase. And in that regard, I think the epitome of a song that sounded like nothing else on the radio when it came out and still doesn't, it's one of my favorite songs, and that's Eric Church's Creepin'. <laughs> that, is just a, that song is just a trip from start to finish. When you conceived of that song, when you got it written, did the final product match the way that you dreamt it up in your head? No, no. So I wrote that with, it's just Eric and I, and uh, we wrote it down on Music Rose uh, early... Uh, um, in the, uh, I think in the writing of that chief record and, um, and, and when we, you know, it was Eric's idea, we, we sat there in the room and, and just played it on two acoustic guitars. I thought when we were done, I thought we had this kind of acoustic-y, Appalachian-y kind of, um, spooky song, but, um, and I thought it was cool, but uh, that's all I knew of that song. The couple guys on acoustic guitars, and we did do uh, bom bom bom. We did that together, but uh, a little tribute to David Bowie, if you will, or David Essex even. But um, uh, so uh, anyway, so I don't hear nothing about it, and then um, Catherine Eric's uh, wife calls, um, you know, a few months down the road. And, she said, oh, they're in the studio with Creepin' right now. Wait until you hear this. And in my mind, I'm like, well, okay. I wonder what, you know, <laughs> did they go grassy with it? Did they, you know, and, and knowing full well that Jay Joyce and Eric, when they get together, anything can happen. And then when I heard that thing, I was just blown away. It was just such a record and such a greatly produced thing. But, um, yeah, I'd like to play the original work tape for that song. It's, it's stripped down with a couple of acoustics. <laughs> So just a couple more questions, then uh, I'll let you go. You've been yeah. uh, more than kind. This podcast is listened to by folks who are thinking about becoming songwriters. What is one or two key pieces of advice that, that you would give them? Uh, I really feel um, as long as you can be honest with yourself and feel you are ready, you've got to be in a music center. I mean, if you're not in Nashville and if you're not in – it depends what kind of music you're doing, of course. Um, but But if you're – writing uh country songs or it's not just country anymore but if you 
if you feel like you're at that point, uh, you really got to be here. The, the thought of shipping something off or sending something off or even emailing with no FaceTime is just, I don't think it's reality. Uh, I think you benefit so much more from being where where it all happens. Um, personally, I, I believe a little bit about energy and the energy of, of this town or, or w- whatever town you pick. Um, so I think when you're, you need to be ready. You need to ask yourself, you need to listen to the songs you're hearing on records and on the radio and go, can I, can I stand up to these? Can, can I break through whatever it is? And then read, you know, and, and, you know, you've got to, you've got to have a lot of, of information coming in for information to come out. So read, listen, watch movies and stuff. I mean, I say this and I'm like going, I need to do more myself. I'm a better writer when I'm reading. Uh, when I'm in the middle of a book, I'm a better writer, you know. That was one of the um, questions I wanted to ask. How do you fill your well? Yeah, uh, a good novel, a, a movie, uh, a new album can do it. But um, Do you listen to other uh, music, other songs? Oh, yeah, just kind of see what's new in all genres, see see what people are liking um and there's always the artists you already know you're always you know i still like to listen to see what what they're doing um yeah because you know the good thing about songs is that um you know i'll I'll listen and the good news for me is a lot of times they're buddies of mine and i'll you know it's that song where you get uh the turn of phrase and you're like ah, i can't believe i haven't thought of that you know (laughs) you call them you're like dang it oh man that's a good one uh you know i just gave this example to a friend of mine because they were asking me a similar question and i said well here's the deal i don't know what you have yes i'm happy to spend 30 minutes and listen to what you have but what interests me is when you get like um uh josh osborne and shane who i know you've already interviewed you know if you got a title or an idea that says uh, are we written in the sand or are we written in the stars you know that kind of stuff is just like you know just a phrase it just gets me interested and and, and then you're off and running you know are we just a backseat trying to get it while we can are we names in a tattoo or just a number on a head are we last call kissing or will we be reminiscing with each other for the next 40 years are we written in the stars baby or are we written in the sand all right, and we'll wrap it up. Your friend, uh, J.T. Harding, who has been on a previous podcast uh, and who also hooked me up with you today, um, he sent me a, a, an email, and he wanted me to run a few of these things by you. So I'll just uh, <laughs> okay. I'll read you what he wrote, and then you comment. Um, the first one is really coincidental because as we're recording this today, it's Taylor Swift's 30th birthday. Uh, he says, you were one of the first people to write with Taylor, and you still get invited to her birthday parties? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know about still every birthday party, but what I will say for Taylor is, although I've never had any success with Taylor, although, I, yes, I, I did uh, write with her a little during when she was making that first record. She, no matter, you know, she's super mega, mega superstar. She still somehow, you know, wants to, you know, every now and then reach out and, and let me know that, she, you know, she remembers. So, yeah, that's uh, that's. You know, just as busy as she is, and uh, I've gotten to know her folks, too, and she's just a, you know, great person underneath all the super shiny stuff. Uh, JT says, Marv loves guitars so much he named his son? Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and you can't argue with the sound of Gibson Green, anyways. Uh, oh. But um, but yeah, I love Gibsons and Martins, and I, I do my my Telecaster, my Fender. I, I love guitars, and every guitar's got a you know song, guitars have different songs in them, so you got to have a couple different ones. <laughs> All right, and the last thing from uh, JT, and this sounds like it might be a bit of a point of contention between the two of you. He says, Marv, your George Strait song sings, It Comes Natural. Isn't the proper way to say it, It Comes Naturally? (laughs) That's funny, because that was actually a debate. I wrote that song with Jim Collins, and we got to that point of the song, and he's the one, he's from Texas, and he's saying, it just comes natural, and I was like, you mean it just comes naturally? He goes, oh, no, no, George. Because we, we were actually thinking about all that. And he said, no, it, it needs to be it just comes natural. And I said, well, I don't know if that's completely correct, but it sounds good, so let's go with it. And uh, it worked out just fine. Sun shines, clouds rain, train whistles blow and guitars play. Preachers preach, farmers plow. Wishes go up and the world goes around And I love you It just comes natural It just comes natural Man, Marv Green, thank you so much for taking time and passing along some of your experience and wisdom. Uh, well, yeah, it just flew by. And any time, uh, I'm happy to... Uh, to talk, you know. And that is a wrap for another episode of Write You a Song. Thank you again to Marv Green, who, by the way, puts on a charity event every year in Solvang, California that features himself and other top songwriter friends. Might be a cool road trip to make later this summer. You can find out more at nashvillenights.org. Write You a Song is a production of Bonneville Communications and recorded at KNCI Radio Studios in Sacramento, California. Again, give us a like and share it if you're so inclined. Next month, another writer whose work you might be familiar with. Thrasher next time on Write You a Song. Let your hair down. Get you some of this laid on back. Kick your shoes off. Get your hair down, hair down. Get you some of this laid on back. Kick your shoes off.